Testament. And Ezekiel chapter 37 is the culmination of really 35 and a half chapters of God telling Ezekiel, my people have turned away from me. They are worshiping idols. They are not honoring me. Tell them that it's about to come down. And in Ezekiel chapter 37, uh, God takes in a, in a dream or in a vision, he takes Ezekiel down and he walks him through this valley of dry bones. And then at one point in that, God turns and he looks to Ezekiel and he looks at it. And when he asks this question, he says, can, they dry, can these dry bones live? And Ezekiel responds perfectly. Lord, only you know that. He's saying, he's saying, God, you are the one that has that kind of power. And if that's going to happen, that's you that has to do that. So in order for that to happen in our lives, I can't motivate it in you. We can't sing it into. I think the stage looks awesome. Our college and career, better known as the bridge now, uh, did all that last Sunday afternoon. And I'm telling you, they, they killed it, didn't they? I mean, doesn't it look good in here? Anybody? I mean, I'm loving it. And then singing those Christmas songs that gets us going. I read a quote this last week from a man that uh, I used to work in the city with. Uh, you've seen a lot of the movies that happened down out of uh, South Georgia in a little place called Albany. This came from Michael Katz Church uh, down there. And uh, Michael said this uh, quite a while back. He said, whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. Let that sink in a little bit. Whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. I'm just saying this world's doing everything they can. They've pulled out all the stops. They make sure that they connect with our next generation. And I'm not talking about just the next generation of those who are teenagers and, 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 uh, and young adults. I'm talking about every person that could potentially come to Christ. That's who they're going after. And so if we want them most we got to go after them like it matters, like there's something bigger, like there's a rattle that needs to happen in their life. Um, this is why I want us to get rattled. Our comfort, our complacency in the world and even in the church today has led us down a path that points to anything and everything but Jesus the Christ. And I believe it is time for us to stand up as followers of Christ and to follow Christ in obedience, which is why we're talking about an obedience that leads to a rattle that leads to an obedience. That's what I believe God wants to happen in our lives. I want my kids and my grandkids. I want your kids and your grandkids. I want every soul that comes through the doors of the grove as well as those that are watching online right now. I want the community that God has placed us in right here. I want them to know Christ. I want them to know the truth, the peace, the hope, the love that comes through the freedom that he gives us. I want them to know the purpose for their life so that they will realize there is a reason for their life. They're not just sustaining until their life is ended, that God has given us a purpose that is bigger than that. Uh, Paul said it in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. He says, I want to know Jesus and the power that comes from his resurrection. And I'm just telling you, I don't want to be the only one that knows that. 
Because once you've experienced it, I believe you will want other people around you to know the power of that resurrection. And the cool thing is, it started with the weakest spot you can begin as a human being. With Christ coming to this earth as a child. It's why we make such a big deal about Christmas. Because it all started there for us. Even though Christ and, and the Father and Holy Spirit had planned this from the very beginning. It's when it became a reality for us. Rattle. <clears throat> Catching us up. You got to want it. You have to want it. I can't make you want it. So you start praying for God to awaken you. You start, waking, uh, you start praying for God to revive you, your spirit from the inside out. You want that to happen for you, for your family, for the church, for the community, for the USA, for the entire world. And then the Holy Spirit works in many different ways to bring us to a place of repentance. But it is ultimately His Word that will penetrate your soul. That's why we have to dig into it. That Word will help us know what is wrong and then you can deal with it and you can repent. And all this time you are praying and you are seeking and you are repenting and you are, repenting and you are looking ahead, thanking God for what He is going to do in the future. You know, I don't just thank God for what He's doing right now. I thank Him for what He is going to do in the future because this ain't the end. I'm looking forward to the end. And so I'm thanking Him for what He is going to do and, and for what He's doing in my life right now. I know this is not the end of what He's doing in my life. There is more to be done. It's why I still have breath in my lungs. It's why you still have breath in your lungs. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, one of my favorite scriptures. It's on my phone when I pull it up. It's the one verse that's there. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. And I believe the thing that we need more than anything right now is a rattle. But what now? <clears throat> How do we take that next step? The next part of rattle is uh, one that is an absolute game changer for us. We started last week with repentance. And once you've gotten there, this is the next step for what has to happen it is clear in God's word. It is obedience. What does obedience look like in the life of the believer? What does obedience look like in the life of the one who does not know Christ yet? Well, obedience is a result of the rattle. It's a result of the revival that God does in us. But it also is, the, is a key component to the reality of the, of the rattle happening in the first place. You see, obedience is not doing the right things to get to Christ. Obedience is doing the right thing to get to Christ. It is singular. Trusting Christ by grace through faith in Him alone. That's the only act of obedience that gets us to Christ. That's it. That's what the demonstration of the baptism is. And I think we've got one maybe coming next week, I think, again. And we're buried together with Christ and we are raised to walk in a new life with Him. That's the beginning that has to happen. But when we hear obey, I immediately go back to home growing up. Do y'all remember that when your parents told you, do this, obey me, do what I said? I think about that, what I was doing wrong that I had to get right to get back in favor with them. We think I have to stop doing something that is clearly wrong. And that is true. But that's not the end of the story. 
Obedience is not just avoiding things that don't honor God, which are actually sins of, of, uh, of commission. We commit sins in that way. Obedience is doing what we were created to do. And when we don't do this, we call this sins of omission. So we have things that we are not supposed to do that are supposed to go. That needs to happen. And then we have things that we're supposed to do that we're not doing. And those need to happen. They're both different forms of obedience. And this is when we know what to do and God has called us uh, to do as well as the things he specifically leads us to do in our spirits. And when we don't obey the Father by living our calling, that's disobedience. Now, Ezekiel chapter 5 deals with this, uh, beginning in verse 5. The Lord tells Ezekiel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. This is an illustration of what will happen to Jerusalem. I placed her in the center of the nations. But she rebelled against my regulations and decrees and has been even more wicked than the surrounding nations. And she has refused to obey my regulations and decrees I gave her to follow. So the Lord tells Ezekiel to tell the Israelites what they were guilty of only 17 times. Hmm. That sounds like our kids or maybe us when we were kids right it only took 17 times now notice what God did he placed her he placed Israel in the center of the nations you know in a kind of an unbelievable way and at least for a time God seems to have placed the USA not in the a physical center of the world but it's kind of a place where everybody wants to be they want to they want to know that freedom they want to experience that dream they want to be able to be whatever they want to be and this is one of the few places in the world where you can do that. So there's a, a strange connection there. A country that looks out for other countries is who we are. It's, it's, uh, it genuinely desires peace. And, but like Israel, we are a people who continue to rebel. And, and our rebellion is against... A holy God. And, and we don't just make idols. We proverb, pro proverbially spit in the face of the God who is our creator that gives us everything that we've got. And we do that through our refusing to obey him. We live like this. It's my life. It's my freedom. It's my feelings. It's my way. My choices. And like Israel, we are even more evil than our surrounding nations. In other words, sometimes we even look more evil than those who don't even know God because of our rebellion against Him. And we know about God, but our lives kind of make it America's best-kept secret, or for the believer, the best-kept secret of the church. Like Israel, we refuse to obey God's regulation and His decrees. We're going to talk a little bit about a fellow named Charles Finney, part of the second great awakening in America that happened in the very early 1800s. He said this, he said, Revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance, followed by an intense desire to live in obedience to God. It is giving up one's will to God in deep humility. 
It's when we finally give up. It's when we, when we finally realize it is not about us. So what is this word obedience? Well, there are several different words in the New Testament and the Old Testament that give us, and we translate as the word obedience. And I think you get a better picture when you see two or three of these and the way they actually work and help us to understand what this word means. One of the Greek terms for obedience in the Bible conveys the idea of positioning oneself under someone by submitting to their authority and command. So we recognize God for who He is, and we humble ourselves below Him realizing who He is and that He wouldn't even have to look, think, or anything else just to completely wipe us out. He could, but yet He loves us, and He came for us. And for some reason, He came like this for us. And it doesn't make sense, but He did it. Uh, another Greek word for obey in the New Testament literally means to trust. And some of our lives, our lives, don't really look like we trust Him. Because we're not obeying. We hear, we know, we see things that He tells us to do. And we're like, nope, doing my own thing today. Nope, don't have time for that. Somebody else can do that. That's what the missionaries are for. No. According to the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary, I love this, this says it exactly right. Biblical obedience is when we hear God's word and we act accordingly. It's when we hear it. It's when we read it, see it, hear it, and then we actually do something crazy and we do what it says. I'm just telling you, that would totally change my life if I actually did everything that I knew he told me to do. And I believe it would yours as well. So why is obedience so important to Jesus? He says in John 14 and verse 15, If you love me, obey my commandments. Do what I've said to do. Our obedience... Just a couple of quick things here. If you've got your outline, I believe this will help you a little bit. Some things to kind of walk with through the week. Our obedience is a reflection of our love for the Lord. If we say that He is our Master and our Lord, and we say that we love Him, but we do not do what He says, is it real? It clearly has not affected us all the way to the inside. The Lord's commandments, that's the love for God and the love for people. And we are to love Him and we are to love them in His way, not our way, in His way. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul says it like this. He says, so you, so, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. And that's what number two is on this. Our obedience brings glory to God, and we actually worship Him when we obey Him. It is an act of worship as we live a life of obedience for Him. Now, watch how this kind of begins to snowball. Okay, I know it's a little early for snowballs in Alabama, but watch what happens in this. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 28, Jesus replied, But even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. He blesses us. He, man, he takes care of us. He shows us our value. He puts us to work for kingdom purposes. He blesses us when we put into practice what He has called us to do, which is number three. Our obedience demonstrates our faith in God. 
when he tells us to do something, whether it's in his word or through his Holy Spirit, and we don't do it, it is a lack of faith. I think it's time for me and you to be honest with ourselves and honest with the Lord that we're really not trusting you. We say we are, we put up a good face, we talk a good talk, but a lot of times we're just not obeying. Our obedience demonstrates our faith in God. In James chapter 1 and verse 22, but don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. I love the way James just peels it all back and says, here's what it is. Look at what he says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. And if you skip down to verse 25 there in James 1, it says, But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and you don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. I mean, who doesn't want to be blessed? Who doesn't want to see a miracle happen in their life? I long for it. For moments like happened at the 11 o'clock hour last week, I long for that day by day, moment by moment for the times that I've seen people turn to Christ when I was obedient and I shared the gospel with them and then watching what God does in their life. I long for that. I want that kind of blessing from the Lord because all the rest of it seems little bitty compared to those things. You know what I'm saying? That's where I'm going with this. In Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 6, again, the Apostle Paul, I believe, says this, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Do you see a pattern here? When we obey him, he does us right. And I don't know exactly what that looks like in our life. Do, do I think that's a, uh, lots of money in a big house? No, I don't. I think he blesses us with things that last forever. That's what I think he blesses us with. Because that's what he says in his word. So number four is this. Our obedience leads to God's blessings. Okay, you get that now, right? So let me tell you about a second major revival in the U.S., the Second Great Awakening. It was the first week of August in 1801, before most of you were born. At Cane Ridge, Kentucky. Anybody ever been there? Probably not. A Presbyterian preacher by the name of Barton Stone, organized a massive week-long revival and the attendance blew up. Now, you're 1801. The Midwest is just now starting. Okay, We've had our 13 original colonies. We're just starting to make it westward. So we are in thin country when it comes to human beings and cities and people. But attendance blew up. Some say in that week as many as 25 thousand people showed up at cane ridge kentucky we're talking tent revival out in the middle of the pasture is what we're looking at here now here's here, here's just kind of a relative thought on this the closest town was lexington kentucky and the best estimate of their population at the time was just under 1800 and that was counting as far as they could go that means people wore horse and bug in and walk in this thing for miles upon miles upon miles and possibly even days. But they came drawn. Now think about that. Drawn. They, they, they wanted to come to the front seat because they wanted to be blessed by God. Are you hearing me? 
They wanted it. More than anything else, it's what they wanted. Now, here's some reports that happened. Proponents of the revival say this. They called the meetings the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit since Pentecost. Good night. Are you hearing that? Do you remember Pentecost? That was the Jesus thing that happened when Jesus was physically there. But they called it the greatest thing. The critics were tearing it down because of the emotionalism and the uh, converts and and many who went into, and and this is strange, I'm not going to tell you it's not, but they went into laughing spells and barking spells and dancing and, and jerking spells. I don't understand all that, I'm just telling you. I don't understand that. But God was doing something there. And people can mess up even a good thing that God is doing. I'm just saying. But while that was going on, I think you'll appreciate this part too. Simultaneously, a rattling that was going on there in the frontier, something was happening on the campus of Yale College. You may know it better as Yale University now. Big Ivy League, fancy college that most of us can't get into, even if we had enough money. We're in Connecticut. The college president was Timothy Dwight. He was an evangelical. He believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that was the way that you come to faith. And he was dealing with a rationist spirit that was going over his campus, which rationalizes everything instead of looking at the gospel side of it or the biblical side of it. It was rational over biblical. So 1801, moving into 1802. So we're right at the end of the other, or right at the beginning of what is, or right at the uh, end of what's just happened at, at Cane Ridge. And two young men, two young students from Yale, became so convicted of their sins that they surrendered to Christ right there on the spot at the campus. Two dudes together, and God just overcame them, convicted of their sin, and they repented and turned to Jesus on that campus. That weekend, they went to the local campus church, and every campus at that point had a church. Yale was founded on Christian principles. They went to the church, and that day, because of their testimony and what people saw that had happened in their lives, 55 other people came to Jesus. Huh, that sounds pretty good. Now, there are churches in our town that are big enough, you probably can have 55 coming to Jesus, but... That was not this church. Before this revival at Yale took over, there were only 160 students at the entire college. 80 of them had come to Jesus. Because two guys were obedient to Jesus as as the Holy Spirit got all over them, and it spread like wildfire. Let's put this in perspective. We're just a couple of miles away from the University of Alabama at Huntsville. This last year, their student population for undergrad and graduate students was 9,999. Let's have half of them come to Jesus. Folks, we're talking 5,000 people coming to Jesus in a few weeks. Would that not be fun? I'm just asking, I'm just pointing a question, I'm pointing out a reality to us. Remember Michael Katz said, whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. I'm just telling you, I want them. I want them for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want want people in this community for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A second great awakening also led to a realization that the church 
was intended to be a part of the society of which it lives. It is supposed to be a part of it. And through service in that society, that church can impact the kingdom of God by serving and loving and telling others the good news of Jesus Christ. That is what you and I are called to do. I'm just going to be honest. Our, our job is not to come to church on Sundays. It's where we come and it's the pep rally and it's where we get fed and it's then where we go back out to do what we have been called to do. So the combination of the two revivals, the first great awakening, which was completely led by Reformed theology, Calvinism. The second one, Charles Finney and his group led it completely by Arminianism, which meant it's, got, it's man's choice and, and it's only man's choice pretty much. And the, the beautiful goal that came from it was this. Yes, it is God's sovereignty. Yes, it is man's choice. It takes both. God did everything he could, but he's not going to make us come to him. We have to choose him back. He made the choice for us. The proof is the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection. That is his demonstration of his love for us. Here's some things that happened because of this revival. New agencies were formed to advance missions. Matter of fact, we're only a few years away from the formation of the Southern Baptist Convention that would start with a, a mission board that would take people out all over the world to make sure that the gospel goes out. We're within a, 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 a few decades of that happening. Uh, people decided that it's important that people get Bibles in their hands, so they start making sure Bibles are printed, and then they pass them out to everybody they can. Uh, they also did some social things that I think were incredibly important. They made up their mind that slavery was not right biblically for one man to own another man. And this revival led to a people that said, this is wrong. we got to change this. Charles Finney is probably the, the best known evangelist preacher of the Second Great Awakening. He got really creative. He was apparently a great speaker, and he grew, drew great crowds when he was coming. But he had some ideas that were ideas that some have worked out pretty good and some that didn't work out so well. You need to know about these just because this is what happened in this time. Uh, one of those was uh, the first come-forward invitation. Happened during the Second Great Awakening with Charles Finney. He also, in that, created a thing called the Anxious Bench. I feel like we may have an anxious bench in this room. Or at least we've got some anxious people on a bench. But here's what the anxious bench was, and here's the problem with it. It was for those who had been so deeply affected by the, by the hearing of the word and the gospel that they, they wished that they were saved. They, 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 they thought they wanted that, and, and they probably did. But there was this idea that if individuals would come down to this bench that was in the middle in the middle of the, of the worship center or in the middle of the tent, by sitting there, coming forward, raising their hands, kneeling, that they received salvation because they came there. Now, please hear me on this. Here's the truth. I'm sure many were saved because in their hearts they knew the desperate need they had for Christ, and they repented and they believed and they trust Christ by faith. But we know this, and I want you to know this. 
You can come to the anxious bench and you can raise your hands and you can kneel and you can pray a prayer and still not know Jesus. It has to be a heart change that Jesus does from the inside out when we trust Him by grace through faith. And if you haven't done that, then this is the perfect day to do that and you do not have to come to an anxious bench to do that. Romans chapter 2 and verse 13, For merely listening to the law doesn't make, it right with, doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in His sight. And I've got one more quote from Charles Finney. I think this is so good. This is another thing he totally got right. A revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. That's what it is. It's us saying, no more of me, Jesus. That's where I want to go. No more of me, I'm going to go with Jesus. People that were obedient. It's the perfect season to talk about this, and we're going to go into it deep as we go into the rattle that rattled people over the next couple of weeks. Jesus' teenage mom. Mary, she obeyed the Lord as he spoke through his angel. Obedience is perhaps the most significant way that we submit to the Lord. Mary heard the most confusing words a teenage virgin could ever hear. You're about to have a child. You've never been with a man, I know that. It is the Holy Spirit that has come over you. And the Savior of the world, Emmanuel. Is coming physically from you, Mary. And here's what she said in Luke chapter 1 and verse 38. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Obedience leads to revival that leads to obedience. We obediently repent for doing things we're not supposed to do and then we're rattled and released to do what we are called to do. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I will show you what it is like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. And then he talks about how you can build your house on the rock and it will stand strong, or you can build your house on the sinking sand. And it will be destroyed the first time something comes tough in your life. Which one do you want? Rattle. It's when the Holy Spirit does a miracle in the life of a changed person resulting in a desire to get the good news to those who have not yet been changed. He does, a change. he does a work in those who are changed so that those who have not yet been changed can experience the glory of God. Does it, does it cost too much? <clears throat> well, it costs more than we can pay. It costs more than we can give up. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, Paul's talking about Jesus. And he says, instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being and when he appeared in human form he humbled himself in obedience to God and died on a died a criminal's death on a cross obedience requires humility we have to humble ourselves and when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God what did he say he will lift us up in his due time obedience is doing what the father wants you to do and being who he created you to be 
That's the what. And I just want to give you a couple statements of a so what. What's the difference that this makes? What will I miss if I don't live a life of obedience to the Father, if I don't follow? If I know the truth, but I don't really let it set me free? <clears throat> what, what, what difference does that make? Here's what they are. And there's more, but this is just kind of a, a spot to start. There will always be something missing in your faith. It will always seem weak. It will always seem like something is, something is missing. Uh, you, you'll know Jesus. You, you may learn His Word and know the truth, but until you do what He's called you to do, I think you'll experience these emotions and these things in your life. There'll be an element of peace that's just not there. There'll be an element of peace that is missing. There'll be a, uh, the, the purpose will always seem unfulfilled, like there's more, but you just haven't grasped it yet. And people die like that every single day, even people that know Christ. And then there's another one. The joy will never be what it could have been. And I want it to be hard to wipe the smile of joy off my face, but more importantly, off what's going on in my heart. And that's what I want for you. And I believe it's what the Lord desires for you and me. A.W. Tozer said it like this. You have noticed, or have you noticed, how much praying for revival has been going on of late and how little revival has resulted. I believe the problem is that we've been trying to substitute praying for obeying and it simply will not work. Does that mean we don't pray? That is not what he said at all. We pray believing, and then we let God do his work in and through us. So this is the invitation for me and for you in this place today, and it's the invitation for you online at this moment. And this is my prayer. Father, move us from knowing what to do to doing what we were created to do. There is a first step. Real life obedience starting today. If you've never trusted Christ by grace through faith, that is your first step of obedience. Jesus says, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. And for those of you who already know Christ, my challenge to you is uh, a little list that I'm going to give you. And it's not complete at all it's just a get you going thoughts to go to in your mind to allow the holy spirit to begin working in your life it's bigger than that i want us to learn to listen to the holy spirit as he speaks to us every day i want you and me to learn to obey our heavenly father no matter what it takes here are a couple of those things just real life things that can happen over the next couple of weeks december the 18th that's two weeks from yesterday from 7.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. at House of Hope and Restoration over at 2525 Aspen Avenue in Northeast Huntsville. Food and gas card giveaway. It's a lot bigger than that. I got to pray and share the gospel with 10 different people in 10 different cars as they came and asked for prayer after we had given them food and given them gas cards. You can sign up literally to serve on that team today. We're going to have some folks back there. There's a little round table as you're going out on your left. You can sign up today if you want to be a part of that. Uh, and, and in that, we're also giving uh, gas cards away at, at $15 a piece. Uh, we gave about uh, two, 75, or, 75 or 100 away last week and then food for 200 We ran out of gas cards. 
maybe you want to help with some gas cards uh, through giving to that as well. Uh, and if we have enough families and volunteers there, I asked Pastor Jarman, what do we do if we have more than the 15 or 20 that we need to serve there on that day? He said, we got our people ready, and we're going to set you up in teams, and we're going to go out in the neighborhood, and we're going to put door hangers on doors, just letting them know that HHR is here for them, and we will be there. And so that, there's, there's plenty to do. On December the 22nd at 6 p.m., our children's ministry has put together kid, uh, TG Kids, a Christmas carol, and I'm calling it a Christmas carol gospel share. Um, you can start signing your family up today. It's back on that same table, and I hope that you will do I hope there's a line formed back there so that we can do that because there are people that need to be encouraged. There are people that hadn't been back in this church in 18 months. They need some encouragement. They need to see some other humans, and we can go. We can wear masks if we have to. I don't care what you have to do to, to get in their presence, but I want us to encourage people. I want us to love people like that, people that maybe just can't get out of their house physically. Maybe they just need some encouragement. It's something we can do, and we're going to put a gospel element in that, not just sing songs cute with the kids. It's going to be even bigger than that because that part's cute enough. That'll get them outside, and then we get to share the gospel with them. Maybe you can lead a group for that. Maybe you've got a name of somebody that could use that kind of encouragement. Maybe you could give us that. On December the 24th, what's that? Christmas Eve. 4 o'clock and 5 o'clock. You know, we can come, we can gather like Drew was talking about, and we can just... Uh, get warm and fuzzy inside and we did Christmas Eve with our family or we can realize this is an opportunity for people to see the gospel and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in just a short little tiny easy simple thing and all you got to do is invite them I think Drew's got a thousand cars ready cards ready for you to pass out they're back on the very last table on the left as you go out if you're going to give them out take them and go do it that's your job. Right now, here's some other couple of quick things, and I'm going to leave you alone. I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit deal with you. We have a nursery and a preschool available for the first service. And I think it's one of the reasons why it's probably the largest service. That's, that's fine. We need one in the second service. I mean, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. We do. And if we had somebody available, huh, guess what could happen? I mean, it's kind of hard to worship with kids crawling all over you. I don't know if you've ever tried to do that. It's, it's a little more interesting like that. It's hard to pay attention. I mean, Holy Spirit can speak through anything. Boy, it's tough like that. We can make that available. These parents need you. Uh, would you be, be obedient to the Lord in that? God may be leading you to serve on our greet team. I don't know what he's doing with you. Um, but I want you to listen to him, and I want you to do what he says. Last thing on my list is another opportunity for you. Uh, Drew and I got to carry over my entire truckload and his entire vehicle load, his SUV, full of stuff for agape uh, for children through that adoption ministry and, and uh, respite care ministry. It was beautiful. I mean, we packed a room there full of the gifts that you had given. It was so big, and, and our people have been so faithful to do that, and they did it so early this year that Sarah decided, hey, we can do more. And so she contacted Angel Tree. And I don't know if you know what Angel Tree is, but it's, uh, it's kids who who's, may have a parent who is in prison and uh, have a really hard time having Christmas. And I think we adopted five more families right there. All the gifts have been bought because they had to be taken care of. But if you would like to give uh, just to support and help making that happen, be a part of that blessing for those kids, uh, you can go online, you can give, and, and uh, just mark on it uh, Angel Tree. 
and we'll make sure that that goes there. I'm going to ask Drew to come down here, and uh, if the Lord's speaking to you, I want you to listen to him. Some of you just need to come pray because you're not, you're not obeying right now, and maybe that's your first step of obedience. But as we sing this song, ask him, Lord, how do I need to obey today? Would you stand with me across this place? Father, it is good to be in your house. It is good to worship you. Lord, may our worship not stop here. May our obedience be a continued act of worship when we walk away from here. If somebody needs to get right with you, Lord, today, work in their heart in such a way that they can't say no. It's all yours. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If God's speaking to you, come right now.